0: Gracious and merciful and loving, Father, we thank you that you love our soul. Father, you love us so very much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, that you gave us the free gift of salvation which is available to any of us who believe. I pray, my King. That as we seek you in your word this morning, that our attitude of worship would not cease. That we would continue to have a desire to worship you as we study your word. Father, I pray that our ears would be open to your truth this morning. That our hearts would be open to receive from you. Lord, may your Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide. In Jesus' name. So Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all who bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian." So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went on his way. Last week, we focused on the last event in Jesus' pre-ministry life, in other words, uh, the last event before his public ministry began. Um, we explored his victory over the devil during his 40 day temptation. Now, the next two verses, uh, the first two verses we read today, verses 14 and 15, they give us this synopsis of the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, saying that, you know, Jesus returned to Galilee, he was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports of him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues. He was praised, which means to be glorified or honored by everyone. And then we have the following event, where he returns to Nazareth, another unique account to the book of Luke. And Jesus announces his public ministry in his own hometown. And he declares himself the fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah. Now, when I say this is a unique event to the book of Luke, Uh, The part where he stood up in the synagogue and read from what we know as Isaiah 61. That's not recorded in the other Gospels. His returning to Nazareth and being rejected at Nazareth is recorded in the other Gospels. But not this part, which I think is kind of fun. So that's where we really pick up in verse 16 today. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book. Don't let the word book mess with you. It was really a scroll. Um, But he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him, and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Now we know... Uh, from places like Romans 1 16 that the gospel was to be presented to the Jewish people first and then to the Gentiles so it was Jesus custom which was a custom picked up by the early church in the book of Acts that when they went to a new place they would typically go into the synagogue first if there was a synagogue there Um, and they would do this on the Sabbath day because the Jewish people in that area would gather in the synagogue much like we're gathered here today Um, to hear the word and to worship God. Um, And you have to keep in mind, back then, they didn't have their own Bibles. They didn't have the U Version Bible app. So about the only time, unless somebody was really wealthy, about the only time they could hear the word of God was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So when Jesus stood up, they recognized him. Now, either they recognized him, because we know they recognized him Later, we read that, isn't this Joseph's son? But also, they probably recognized him by the way he was dressed as a traveling preacher, which was common in that day. So when he stood up, they recognized him, and they offered him the book or the scroll of Isaiah. Now, back then, they didn't have chapters and verses, right? I can tell you to turn to Luke chapter 4. He couldn't flip through this and find Isaiah 61, and the book of Isaiah, the complete scroll of Isaiah, was roughly 60 feet long. Um, I'm not exactly sure how long our sanctuary is, but I don't think it's quite 60 feet, at least not from stage to door, maybe from wall to wall. But you have to imagine a scroll that's that long, right? And Hebrew was written what we would consider backwards. It was written left to right, or right to left. Um, and and it was like, it would have been like this big around. Usually it was it was rolled up on two scrolls because one um, wasn't big enough. So two sides this big, and you would lay it on a table and you had to flip it and turn. And he came to the place where this was written. So this was not on accident. This was deliberate. And he had to know the surrounding context in order to find it because there were no chapters and verses. Now, since he is the author of scripture, probably a little easier for him than it would be for the rest of us, but it doesn't change that this was very deliberate. Now, this prophecy is quoted um, from Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2a. Now, it's important that it's verse 2a because verse 2b is different. The second half of the verse takes us in a slightly different direction That we're going to talk about when we get that far. And from this prophecy, this is a prediction of the messianic ministry. In other words, this is the prediction of the ministry of the Messiah, of the Christ, of the anointed one who God was sending. Who the Jewish people were looking for and who Jesus is. So the first part of it, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. We have seen this. Uh, We looked at this very specifically when we talked about Jesus' baptism a couple weeks ago. We talked about it again last week when Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus' life and ministry. His whole life and ministry was led and empowered by the Holy Spirit as ours must be. And this is a great reminder for us that Jesus is God, 100% God but he's also 100% man, right? We, we call it, it's a big fancy word. We were talking about it in Sunday school. It's called the hypostatic union. And some people get this idea. Well, maybe Jesus had two natures. Maybe he had his human nature and his divine nature, or maybe his human nature and his divine nature were one thing, or, or maybe he had some kind of split personality disorder. I've actually heard someone suggest that. He was 100% God and 100% man, at the same time. Now, the humanity of Jesus is important for us to understand because it's how he relates to us and how we relate to the various things he went through. Well, was it really a temptation for him isn't he God? Yes, he is God, but it was really a temptation for him because he's also human at the same time. Did he really get tired? Did he really get hungry? Did he really did he really struggle with these things? Right. Hebrews. uh, uh, Oh, goodness. I quoted it last week. It's in Hebrews. Read the whole book. It's good for you. Um, But it tells us that we have a sympathetic high priest because he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Right. He went through everything we will go through. There is nothing we will face that he will not face. Now, our situations are unique. um, And, and, you know, we may have situations in our life. Well, did Jesus ever go through this very specific thing? And maybe not that very specific thing, but something like it, right? He knows what it's like to be hurt. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows. And we don't go through those things alone because he goes with us. I said all of that, that if Jesus, the son of God, in his humanity, needed to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit, so do we. He goes on, because he has anointed me. There's not a lot of times um, in scripture where something takes me so by surprise that I, I go over it You know, half a dozen times. Uh, this, this caught me in a way. I have read this passage many times. I have taught Luke chapter 4 before. I've done a sermon on this passage before. And this is the first time in 18 years of ministry and almost 26 years of being a Christian that this hit me. So in Isaiah, the Hebrew for the word anointed here is Mashiach. And if you know a little bit of Hebrew, it's the word that we get Messiah from. Right? Anointed. In Greek, when Luke quotes it in Greek, it's the same root as the word Christ. Right? Christ is not his last name. It's his title partially. Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed of God, Jesus the Messiah. And that is both in the Hebrew and in the Greek that comes out. So Jesus right here is declaring himself to be the Messiah. Something that later on, the Jewish leaders asked Jesus, this is in John chapter 10, verse 24, they said, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus replied with, I told you, and you didn't believe me. This is one of the places he told them. There's a lot of people... Out there are a lot of skeptics and a lot of biblical critics who say, Well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never claimed to be the Jewish Messiah, right? Christians made this up. No, we didn't. We read it. Jesus makes this claim right here. Now, he makes this claim in other places as well, but he makes this claim right here. Then he goes on. I came to preach the gospel to the poor. To proclaim the good news to the poor, both spiritually and physically. Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know about you, but the day that I came to that realization, the day that the Holy Spirit finally got my attention to the point that I was listening, and I truly heard the gospel, and I realized that God is real, I realized He sent his son for me. I realized that I was a sinner and I needed him. That moment, it's still the greatest moment in my life. Right now, I have a wife. I have three beautiful children. Those are all amazing moments, but not quite as good as that one. And there's going to be one moment that tops it. One moment that tops it. And that's the day when he wraps his arms around me in eternity. And I'm looking forward to that too. But that moment was so amazing to me, because it was in that moment that I realized what I was—that I was—I'm a sinner, that I was lost, that I didn't have any hope, that I was uh, really spiritually sick. And he came in, and he preached this good news to me: "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus was sent to take those who have been shattered and make them whole again. That's what the word brokenhearted here means. Right? We use we use brokenhearted. How many of you remember Billy Ray Cyrus before his daughter became a thing? Right? He had this amazing song. Don't break my heart. My achy breaky heart. I just don't think it understands and if you break my heart my achy breaky heart it might blow up and kill this man right we do not appreciate the poetic genius of billy ray cyrus right, this song was bad back in 90 whatever when it came out it doesn't age well either right there's some songs that age really well i heard a i heard a song by the police the other day uh, in a show or a movie we were watching the police they age well Billy Ray Cyrus, not so much. Sorry, Billy. And, you know, get a hold of your daughter. Um, But the word here, we we tend to think of this broken-hearted thing as, oh, you know, they just broke my heart, or that just breaks my heart. The idea here is the life of a person that has been shattered. Right? And and, and if you shatter a window, or if you drop a a glass on the floor, and it shatters, right— we don't typically think that can be put back together. Now, there's a beautiful. See, I wish Hannah was sitting here; she'd know. It's either Chinese or Japanese custom that when pottery would break, they would glue it back together with gold, and, and that, that I think is a beautiful thing because you could see these pots that had streaks of gold throughout them because pottery was expensive; it wasn't easy to make back then. And so they and apparently gold wasn't a big deal, so they would melt gold down, and they would literally glue the pottery back together with gold and it's beautiful, and that's what he's done for us. He's come to sh- take the shattered pieces of our lives, the pieces of our lives that we could never put back together ourselves, and he puts them back together with gold. He makes us whole again matthew five four said, "Blessed are those." Who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives. The word liberty here is interesting, because it does speak of what we we think of as liberty, right? Uh, you were captive to something, and now you have been set free. You have liberty, uh, but it also means forgiveness and pardon. So when you put it all together, he came to proclaim forgiveness and pardon. For those who have been held captive. And we know from the rest of scripture. Those who have been held captive to sin. Romans 6. 5 and 6. And then verses 17 and 18. For if we have been united together. In the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be. In the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this. That our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be. Slaves of sin. But God be thanked. That through you that though you sorry, were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In John 8:31 and 32, and then in verse 36, Jesus tells us, "If you abide in my word, you will be my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free. I love this. Now, I'm just going to point this out, and then we're going to move forward. That we who know and follow Jesus Christ, we have been set free from our sin. Paul, in the book of Galatians, he writes, if you've been set free, why do you go back? Proverbs tells us um, that as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to his folly. Now, I would like to say that from the moment I got saved, I have never gone back to my own filth. That's not true. But I think we as believers far too often think that we're still captive when in reality we've been set free. We think that we don't have victory when the reality is that God has given us victory. And and I'm not saying this to shame anyone. I do the same thing. I have many moments in my life when I will get stuck on a thought. There's a fun phrase for it. It's called hyperfixation. But I get stuck on a thought, and I can't get rid of the thought. And I will pray about it, and I'll go back to the thought. And I'll quote a scripture to myself about it, and I'll go back to the thought. And I'll talk to somebody about it, and then the next moment that I'm alone, I go back to the thought. I let myself, or my, I walk back into captivity to these things that I've been set free from. And that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to walk by the power of his Holy Spirit and the freedom that we have in Christ. He talks about next, giving recovery of sight to the blind. This is prophesied earlier in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. Uh, that healing of the blind would be attributed to the Messiah in Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. You guys had a demonstration of that earlier. And the waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And this, I mean, even today, if somebody goes blind, or if somebody is born blind, all the technology in the world, it might be able to help, it might be able to do something, right? I mean, I wear technology so that I can see, because without my glasses, it ain't pretty. And But healing the blind, well, it's not something that typically happens. right? If somebody's deaf, we have all kinds of cool things, like cochlear implants uh, that would allow a deaf person to hear but still, that's that's not healing. That's circumventing. What about the lame walking? All right. That's again. We have tools. We have technology. But to truly fix it, only God can do that. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Uh, this is the same word as before, and it, it still means uh, forgiveness and pardon and liberty. But here it speaks to those who are oppressed. And the word for oppressed means downtrodden, crushed, or bruised. So not only does he come to set us at liberty from our sin, he comes to set us at liberty from our past. I love that. Anybody here have a past? Anybody here have things in their past that they're not particularly proud of? Right? Yeah, nobody keep those hands down. I, I already know the answer. You don't have to put your hand up, right? And my hand would be up too. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Well, there's so many parts of the gospel that are beautiful, but this is part of it. When it talks about making us whole, when he talks about setting us at liberty, when he talks about forgiveness and freedom, part of that is freedom from our past. Because Satan would want me to think that I am the stupid things I've done. And if that's who I was, I'd be in trouble. But that's not who I am. Who I am is who Jesus has made me. Who I am is a forgiven child of God. And while my past exists, and hopefully I learned from it, it does not hold me anymore. Or at least it shouldn't. And that's part of the freedom that we need, or not need, well we do need, but we can walk in as followers of Christ. Because our past doesn't hold us anymore. Jesus has broken those chains. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the next place where I super nerded out uh, in, in theology land because I just went crazy with this word, acceptable. The word acceptable, it's, it's astounding, both in Greek and Hebrew. Now, in Isaiah, in Hebrew, the word is, now it looks like rat son. R-A-T-S-O-N, rat son. And I can't help but pronounce it that way, but it's really pronounced rat son. Rat son, right? Rat son. Um, son of rat, like Abner, son of Ner. Uh, rat son, son of rat. And it came, or it can mean acceptable, right? Uh, and, and for us, the word acceptable is like, oh, you know, the, the package was supposed to be there on Tuesday, now it's going to be on Wednesday. Well, I guess that's acceptable, right? I can live with it. That's the idea we get with acceptable. But that's not all it means. The word in Hebrew means to voluntarily satisfy a debt. To voluntarily satisfy a debt. Now, you have to think about that. So if someone says something about rot sown, right? Maybe I owe a debt, right? I, I currently owe a debt to the hospital uh, and, and to the government for my, my student loans. <laughs> but that's beside the point. What if somebody came up to me and said, I volunteer to pay off this debt for you? Cool. I'm open to that by the way. Uh, (laughs) I don't expect it of anybody, right? It's my debt. But I'm just saying, if you have a couple hundred grand you don't need, sure. Um, But I voluntarily am willing to satisfy this debt for you. That's what the word means in Hebrew. Now, we put it together with the Greek word, which is dektos. And it means propitious. And it does mean favorable or acceptable, but propitious is where we get the word propitiation which means a substitutionary sacrifice and throughout the gospels i'm sorry not the gospels throughout the epistles uh, in places like the book of romans we're taught that jesus is the propitiation for our sin he is the substitutionary sacrifice for our sin so now we got to put it together what jesus is proclaiming here that was proclaimed back in Isaiah 61, is that he is the Messiah who came to voluntarily satisfy the debt for our sin by being our substitutionary sacrifice. That's what it says. That's what it says back in Isaiah 61. I'm not making this up. A Jewish audience who was paying attention to what he was saying We'd go, wait a second. Well, he he just told us that he's the Messiah. He just told us that he came to satisfy our debt. He told them right then and right there that he, as their Messiah, came to take their place and satisfy their debt before God. That, to me, is incredible. Jesus told us in Matthew 20, verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That word ransom there, very similar. Because the idea of the ransom is, is he paid what we owed. A debt that we could never repay on our own. Jesus illustrated that, in um, the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? The servant comes in to his master. The master says, it's time to settle debts. And the servant comes into his master and owed hundreds of millions of dollars in that day's money. Hundreds of millions of dollars. And the, the, the master said, well, fine, sell him, sell his family, sell everything he's got to pay off at least some of the debt. And the the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, 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 just, just give me a little more time. Right? It doesn't matter how much time he had. He owed hundreds of millions of dollars. And the master had compassion on him and forgave him the entire debt. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Just forgave him the entire debt. And then he goes out. And he finds one of his fellow servants, who he loaned a couple hundred bucks to. And he comes up to the guy and goes, hey, don't you owe me a couple hundred bucks? And the guy says, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have it right now. Give me a little time, I'll pay you back. And, and in the parable, Jesus tells us that the, 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 the servant who had just been forgiven that huge debt grabs the other guy by the neck, starts choking him, telling him, you will pay me. And he has the guy and his family thrown in debtor's prison. The other servants see it and go, whoa, that ain't right. they go back to the master and go, you remember the guy? The guy you forgave, a couple hundred million dollars worth of debt? He just choked and threw in prison a fellow servant over a couple hundred bucks. And so the master called him back in and said, didn't I forgive you this great debt? Shouldn't you have forgiven your fellow servant? And he threw him in prison, where he would then spend the rest of his life. Because there's no way—I don't know if you—you you, you ever figured this out—how stupid debtors' prison really is, um, right? Because if I owe you whatever it is, I owe you five grand. Well, fine. I'm going to put you in prison until you pay it back. I can't work <laughs> when I'm. In, it's really hard to get a second job and pay off my debt when I'm in prison, right? That's just, that never made sense to me, but that's what they used to do. So with that. Jesus has taught us, A, that we have been forgiven an unpayable debt. It's a debt we can never repay. Some will have you believe that, well, if I do a little more good than I do bad, then well, that'll balance the scales in the end. No, it won't. Some will have you believe, well, you know, when I die, I will go to a place, well, they call it purgatory, and I'll spend a little bit of time there and I'll pay for the few of my sins. And then I get to go to heaven. Nope, that isn't how it works. None of us can settle even a fraction of the debt we have to God because of our sin. None of us. And he knew that. And so he sent Jesus to settle that debt on our behalf. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the liberty that he has proclaimed to us. That's what he's given us. And it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Now, we're not going to finish. But the rest of this passage in Isaiah 61, uh, remember I told you we what Jesus quoted was Isaiah 61, 2a. But he stopped in the middle of a sentence. Right? If you look at your own bible there it looks like he stopped in the middle of a verse but he's just simply stopped in the middle of a sentence it would be like right and i love my wife she does this all the time um, she either begins halfway through a sentence because the first half was in her head which i absolutely love when she does that um, or she'll start a sentence and she won't finish it right she she lets me do this it's okay i don't usually check beforehand and i'll pay for it later (laughs) Um, all right, not really. She's really gracious about this stuff. But she'll be like, you know what I really need to do? What? Huh? Um, maybe you really want to finish that sentence? Oh, uh, I forgot. <laughs> okay. Um, or other times, and this is, this, is, this, this is much more favorite to me because it's so confusing. Um, other times, we'll be sitting there and she'll be doing something and she'll go, yeah, and I got to pick that up at the grocery store. You you got to pick what up at the grocery store, well you know I got to do I got to get this stuff for the science project I'm doing with the kids. But you didn't say that part, I didn't. I love you, you're so pretty, uh, <laughs> right? But she does that all the time. Well, that's what Jesus did. Well, and for those who were there, if they were familiar with this passage in Hebrews, they would have known that's what he did. So in Isaiah 61. 2a he stops and then he picks up in 2b or we're going to pick up in 2b and look at verse 3 because this is what it says at the end of 2a it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the lord and there's not a period there's no periods in hebrew or greek anyway and then it says and the day of vengeance of our god so he goes i'm going to proclaim the acceptable year of the lord and the day of vengeance of our god to comfort all who mourn To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is important. It's important that he stopped there. Because he stopped with his death and resurrection when he said to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he stopped with himself being the substitutionary sacrifice that satisfies our debt. What comes next, the day of God's vengeance, speaks of the tribulation, and then the rest of that verse speaks of everything after the restoration and creation of the new heavens and new earth that we read about in Revelation 20 through 22, the last three chapters of the Bible. That's important. Because when Jesus came, the first time, he came to satisfy our debt. He came to retake the wrath of God on himself that for those of us who believe, we will never have to experience the wrath of God. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Praise God for that. We will never experience the wrath of God. Jesus took it for us. Now, there will be people who reject it. There will be people who reject The free gift of salvation by his grace. And for those people, the book of Hebrews tells us the only thing that's waiting is the judgment of God. And oh, I know it's not fun and popular to talk about judgment, but we have to. Because for anybody who's rejected Jesus Christ, that's what's coming. And the only way to avoid it is to know Jesus as Savior. This day of vengeance will come. This day of vengeance will come. And it's not my vengeance, and it's not your vengeance, it's his. And it will be righteous, and it will be holy. And with that, we have to be ready. And the only way to be ready is to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ our Savior, filled with his Holy Spirit. And if you want to delve into this to a much greater degree, I have a study, and Linda's going to laugh. See, before I even said it, Linda started laughing. You can go on my YouTube page, Beware the Caffeinated Pastor. I have a study through the book of Revelation, a study through the book of Daniel, and a study through the book of Zechariah. And if you listen to all three of those, which will take you a while, there's there's quite a bit in there, um, you will get a a pretty well-rounded picture of what the end times will look like, what the day of vengeance will look like, what the tribulation will look like. And, um, well, it'd be good for you. If you've never studied through those books. Or you can just come ask me. We can go have a cup of coffee and talk about it. Because that's fun too. Now this is an example of dual fulfillment in scripture. What we call a present and future fulfillment. Um, In prophecy, right? As applied, it can be applied to the reader in Isaiah's day. As it could be referred to the restoration of Israel. It can be applied to the reader in Jesus' day because he said today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and it has a future date for us because there are things in that scripture that are yet to come from our perspective, uh, which I think is all very, very cool. There's a lot of examples of dual fulfillment throughout scripture. Now, he says today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he sat down and everyone looked at him as he had proclaimed that everything we just talked about in this passage from Isaiah was fulfilled in himself. Now that is a very bold statement. Essentially, in order for him to make that claim, he was claiming to be God. And that's why they're going to try to throw him off a cliff in a few verses. All the people there bore witness. There was a number of people who heard this and could confirm it. They marveled or were astonished by and admired Jesus' words of grace, assuming that he was Joseph's son. There were some there who recognized Jesus, thinking he was Joseph's son, which he was, humanly speaking, by adoption. Remember, we talked about that a lot back in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Jesus was adopted by Joseph, uh, and so they would have known him as such. But what did they miss? They missed who he really was. The Son of God. The Messiah who came to take away their sin. Now I have about another 40 minutes worth of notes so we're going to stop right there. And we will pick up Luke chapter 4 verses 14 through 30 part 2 next week. But here's what I want to leave you with. They were sitting there in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, the Holy Spirit was at work. The word of God from the book of Isaiah was proclaimed by the word of God, the logos, the very representation of God on earth, to them. He told them who he was. He told them why he was there. And they missed it. They missed it. I don't know about you, I've had that experience, right? There were, there were nearly 20 years where I missed it. I know many people who I've, I've shared the gospel with them, I've presented scripture to them, I've talked to them, I've prayed for them, some of them I've been praying for since the day I got saved. There's, there's people in my life that I've been praying for for 25 years that will not come to they just won't. And and it's the achy-breaky kind of heartbreaking for me. It really is. It, it hurts. Not because they didn't listen to me. There's a lot of people that don't listen to me. But because they won't respond to the gospel, and I know what's coming. That is so hard for me. I know I've told this story before. Um, but it was, I remember the day my dad died. Um, It was a Sunday morning. My brother sent me an email. I still can't figure that out. Um, But my brother sent me an email that my dad had passed away. And I remember breaking down and crying. Now, for most of you, you already know I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. Uh, I actually, it wasn't about him being gone from my life. He had been gone from my life for a long time. It was because multiple times, in the last couple of years of his life, I shared the gospel with him. I sent people to share the gospel with him. I wrote things to him to share the gospel with him. And every time he rejected it. And not just like, oh, yeah, that's interesting, I'll think about it, but no, I want nothing to do with it. And the morning he died, I knew where he went. Unless something happened that I was unaware of, the morning he died, I knew. And that broke my heart. There may be people you hate, because we live in a world that's that's easy to do, right? There may be people that you don't talk to. There may be people that you're not, maybe you're just not fond of. Maybe there's even people in your life that you kind of wish they'd die and go to hell, right? I'm just being honest. I can't be the only one, right? I repent of that, but it doesn't change that sometimes I'm like, you know what, you just go roast. You just go roast. It's not nice. I'm just saying, we all think that way sometimes, at least those of us who are honest. (laughs) Right? But, you will never meet a person that God doesn't love. You will never meet a person for whom the blood of Christ cannot cleanse. You will never meet a person who God doesn't want to forgive and bring into a relationship with himself. You will never meet that person because he loves us all. So, so much demonstrated that love by sending his son. And his death and resurrection is sufficient to save us from all our sin, from all of our brokenness, from all of our past, to save us from all of it. That is the good news of the gospel. That's worth celebrating. Next week, we'll pick up in verse 23. Until then, what's that? Sorry. Yeah, part B. Uh, until then, I pray, um, and I'm just going to say this. If there's somebody you've shared the gospel with that hasn't listened, pray about trying again. If there's somebody you know that you haven't shared the gospel with who needs it, ask God for the opportunity to do so. And if there's anybody listening, either maybe you'll hear this recording on the internet some other time. Uh, We are blessed that people all over the world listen to our messages. Uh, Boggles my mind that that we've had people from India and China and uh, really just all over the world. We had someone from Iran, uh, someone from Iraq, someone from Afghanistan. And they're not big numbers, one, two, three people. But they're still going that far. That's by God's grace. But if any of you hear this recording at some time or you're joining us on Facebook... And you've never made that decision to know Christ as Savior. You've never listened to the Holy Spirit drawing you. Today's the day. Today's the day. Come talk to me. i got two of my three elders. Roy's out, out in the hallway keeping us safe. Pat's sitting right there talking to his wife during the sermon. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, or the person sitting next to you most likely can tell you about how you can come to know Jesus. But don't leave if you've never done that. Um, it is, it's life it's life Um, and if you're listening online uh, leave a comment send us a message i don't however you get a hold of us go to our website however let us help you i would love to introduce you to jesus it's my most favorite thing to do in the world let's pray lord we just give you glory for your grace and love for each and every one of us father i thank you for jesus our savior i thank you for the love that you've demonstrated in giving us your only son. I pray, Father, that as we go about the rest of our week, that you would put opportunities in front of us to share the love of Christ with those around us. I pray as we go into this week, Lord, maybe we've got things we're looking forward to, maybe we don't. But whatever is coming, I pray that you would walk with us. I know that you will. I pray that we would be aware of your presence, that we would be aware of your grace, that we would be aware of your power, and that, God, just everything that comes, good, bad, or indifferent, we would know you're right there with us, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name.